Welcome to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors. This is the last Sunday we will preach from this stage. This is so weird. Next Sunday, we have a whole different stage. Next Sunday, I don't know if we're going to be as funny as we are in here. But we're going to find out together. It's going to be a journey of discovery, and it's going to be so exciting. Um, so last week, uh, last week I talked about the wounded healer. Jesus, as the wounded healer, presses his holy scars into our wounds, and he invites healing and salvation. We looked at the story of Thomas, and Thomas having such strong convictions for who Jesus was in his life that he was willing to die for him. But it required on the other side of the crucifixion and resurrection in the life of Thomas, the risen Jesus to come and to welcome in Thomas's places of disillusionment and disbelief and disappointment. And we don't find the Jesus that points his finger in, in Thomas's face and says, I can't believe you didn't believe hard enough. I can't believe you didn't accept the testimony of your brothers and sisters. But we find the Jesus who says, no, Thomas, put your hands in the holes in my hands. Put your fingers in the hole in my side. Because that's the kind of Jesus that we worship. The Jesus that invites us into himself. And when he presses his scars to our wounds, we receive the, the deepest kind of healing that we can. And so this week we're going to be looking, where I kind of left us off at the end, was looking at how we are the ones who, as, as wounded people who receive the healing of Jesus. And this week I want us to talk about how those scars become holy scars that begin to advance the kingdom of God. And so this is going to be kind of my premise for us tonight. Your scars can tell stories of hope and healing in Jesus. Your scars can tell stories of hope and healing in Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth the reality that you are here, that you are present to us, that you're for us, you're not against us. Lord, may we rest in the truth of that right now, Father. May we each feel your tender embrace surrounding us and protecting us. Lord, I pray that you would show us the, your right hand holding back all of the things in our lives that we feel pressing in against us right now. Lord, we declare, declare this place safe in the name of Jesus. A safe place for us to encounter you, to encounter your goodness, to allow you to bring the continual healing that we have in Jesus. We dedicate this time to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so I want to look at this idea that your scars, your specific scars can tell the story of hope and healing that's found in Jesus. And I want to look at it in two ways. I want to talk about the journey of healing and how we find those moments of healing along the way. And then I want us to talk about the ways in which we actually share those scar stories in a way that glorifies God. In a way that we're living up to the things that we've attained, that we own our stories, that we're not ashamed of our stories, but we actually offer them out to the world boldly and believe and, and are expectant that God will move through those things. So let's begin talking about journey. Our stories are a journey of healing and salvation. Our stories are a journey of healing and salvation. My main text tonight uh, we're going to be picking up in Philippians 3, the, in the part that we read last week. 
Um, and I love, I love the book of Philippians. The more that I study it, the more that I live in it, the more it becomes one of my favorite pieces of Scripture. And it's not a very long letter, but it's so impassioned. And we find some of Paul's biggest and most beautiful ideas about who Jesus is. And in the second chapter of Philippians, Paul shares this, this, like, this poem or this hymn, and we don't know if it's something that he wrote or if it's something that was kind of passed from church to church. But he offers this, this poem to the, the people in Philippi to demonstrate to them the core of who Jesus was. And it says, Jesus, though he was equal with God, did not consider that equality with God something to be taken advantage of. But rather, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave. And he was obedient, yes, even to death. You know, I've always read that and thought that Jesus went from equality with God to equality with man. But what we actually find in this poem is that Jesus makes himself nothing, taking the form of a slave. He makes himself less than a man for our behalf. Do you realize that we are one of the only faiths that worships a God who submits to his own creation? A God who places himself underneath his creation in order to raise it up, in order to glorify it, in order to bring it back into its proper place. And this is the God that we discover in Christ Jesus. And the poem goes on to say, Therefore God raised him up so that his name would be above every name. And what Paul's saying there is because Jesus was willing to die, to be made absolutely nothing, there's something there that the power of God can be demonstrated in. The power of resurrection. God loves to demonstrate his power of resurrection in places of death. And I think that's so much of what we're talking about as we're talking about the wounded healer, as we're talking about opening our wounds to Lord Jesus, to King Jesus, and allowing him to birth resurrection in places of death. And so I want us to jump into Philippians 3. We want to look at two of the verses we looked at last week and then continue on reading. So in verse 10, Paul writes this to us. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I love that even for Paul, it's a mystery that we step into. It's not something that we can necessarily analyze. And so he says, uh, you know, that we become like him in his death, and so somehow, and I don't know how this works, but we attain to the resurrection of the dead. And I love that. Talking about the participation in the sufferings of Christ, becoming like him in his death, But then in that, we become aware of the power of resurrection. In some way, we retain and attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, this world in its wounds that it offers to us and the slashes that we take from people who tell us that we're only worth loving if we do the certain things. In a world that loves to abandon us or reject us or tell us that we're not good enough, tell us that we'll never accomplish anything. We find ourselves broken apart. And I used that analogy last week of the, of the Japanese pottery technique called kintsugi, where a pot broken apart, it wasn't good enough for them just to staple it back together. But they actually devised this beautiful technique where they, they, they sewed go, gold and resin into the cracks and put back together the thing that had been broken apart. And not only that, but the pot or the vase or the plate becomes actually more valuable than it was before. Because for them, they value the story that a piece tells, not in it being pristine, but in the story that's spoken of in the 
the golden cracks themselves. And so when we participate in the sufferings of Christ, when we become like Him in His death, we move from being broken apart by a broken world into being broken open like Jesus was. And that Jesus became nothing, was broken open for our sake to create the path for us to come back to God. Is that not the most beautiful piece of news that you've ever heard? That God breaks himself open to provide a path for us to come back to himself. And the beauty is that when we live this kind of life where we participate in those kind of sufferings, where we become like Jesus in his death, we attain to that same resurrection. And God breaks us open so that something new can be birthed in its place. You see, Jesus had to trust in God's ability to use that point of death to bring resurrection and to bring new life. And so we trust in God's same ability that no matter how broken we are when we come to Him, we believe that He can actually bring life, new life. He can bring resurrection. And that's the hope that we have in Jesus. Healed wounds no longer mark us as cursed. They become the testimony of resurrection. This weekend, I was at a men's retreat that I was doing for a friend's church out in Tampa. We were in a small town called Nobleton, Florida. Anybody been to Nobleton? Nobody? Weird. That's so weird to me. It's out on the, I don't know, the 476 where that crosses the 538 and there's a river and there was actually this band playing on the other side of the river at a restaurant and they played like every Leonard Skinner song that everybody could possibly know and it was great and the guy had the same flange setting on his guitar for like five hours while we're in the woods and it was fantastic but at this retreat I shared so much of the stuff that we've been talking about on Friday night and then into Saturday we talked about Jesus pressing his scars into our wounds And we talked about how we shouldn't be ashamed of our wounds and our brokenness, but rather when we offer that up to God, we find this new and this profound healing. And last night, we came together and we we worshiped together. And I just opened it up for a time of confession to say, what has the Lord been revealing to you this weekend? Where are the wounds that are still begging for the healing touch of Jesus? Will Will you offer that to your community? Will you let your brothers come around you and pray for you? But also to confess, where are the holy scars in your life that you can now point to a place that has been sewn up in gold and to say, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when God meets us in our brokenness and he puts us back together and he writes a story for us that's more valuable than before. And so these these 12 men gathered around and they shared some of the deepest things that God had been revealing to them. And we prayed and we prophesied over each other for over three and a half hours. And it was so amazing to see when these men opened up and were vulnerable and they shared their stories with one another, how many of them were immediately able to say, yes, me too. The story you're telling is the story that I've also lived. And there was some sort of a beautiful and unique authority that comes when we recognize our story in the wounds of other people and we're able to come alongside of them and pray and offer that place of resurrection that's found in Christ Jesus. There's something so powerful in those words. Me too. Me too. And so we're going to continue reading in Philippians in verse 12, because I want to look at what Paul's perspective is of this journey of healing and salvation and how that kind of gives us an indicator of how and when and why we share our stories. 
So Paul, uh, Philippians 3, verse 12. Paul says this, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful piece of Scripture. And what is Paul talking about here? I think it's important that we recognize when we're talking about receiving salvation and healing from Jesus, it's not that God comes in and cleans us up so that we will be acceptable to Him. So that maybe we'll fit the grade. God doesn't send Jesus in advance to clean us up so that He can finally tolerate us. But it's precisely because we are accepted into Christ that we are received into the relentless tenderness of Jesus, that it leads to this story of salvation and healing. And I believe that there are untapped depths in the healing process for all of us. And that it is a process and it continues to go deeper and deeper into our stories because guess what? We are profound and deep creatures. You know, when we read the story of Genesis and we see how God creates, everything becomes more complex and more beautiful as he speaks the story into existence until we come to mankind and everything he's created, he said, is good. And then he creates mankind and he says, it's very good. And if we take the story at face value, then we can assume the most complex and most beautiful thing in the universe is the last thing created. Ladies. But everything that God creates becomes more complex and more beautiful and and more of a revelation of who He is, what He's like. And so when we look at healing in our own lives, we see that there's a depth to the healing that is possible in our lives because we have been created to be deep. And what does this speak to the journey of healing that we're on? There's an invitation for us to be patient with ourselves. To be patient. Sometimes we're so desperate to attain it all now. We want it all to happen now. But we have to trust in the Lord's timing. Even when we're looking at the story of Thomas last week, when Thomas is presented with the evidence, the testimony of his brothers, he says, that's not good enough for me. I need to experience Jesus. And then it says, a week later, Jesus showed up to Thomas. Because Jesus' timing is perfect. And I think the beauty of this is, When we learn to be patient with ourselves, we can see what it is that God is really doing within us. A couple months ago, I was talking to a dear friend of ours in this community, and we were talking about those moments when when an old wound kind of rears its ugly head. Have you ever had that? An old temptation or an old sin pattern or something kind of rears its ugly head for a moment, and you're so overcome with guilt and shame, and you think, oh my gosh, I thought this was done with. I thought, I thought this was over. I thought I didn't have to worry about this anymore. And here it is again. And it can so easily make us feel like maybe we haven't really received the healing touch of Jesus. Maybe, nothing, maybe it didn't actually work. Maybe I have to start all over again. But you know, this is what I kind of realized in that conversation as we, taught, as we spoke about it and we prayed. When we begin our path with God, Oftentimes, we make decisions out of ignorance. Or another way to say that in biblical language is that we make it out of a stony heart. And we don't know what it is that we're doing. 
And so we find ourselves in sin. We find ourselves giving into temptation. We find ourselves doing things that God does not desire for us because it is not us stepping into accepting the identities of sons and daughters. But one of the things, one of the parts of the journey of healing and salvation that I've seen in my own life and the life of others is that God turns our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. What God does is he turns our hearts of death into hearts of life. And he begins to fill our hearts with his own tenderness. He begins to align our spirit with his spirit. And I think what happens, and I want this to be an encouragement to you, I think what happens when we find ourselves so racked with guilt and shame for old wounds rearing their, old, their ugly heads is it's not that we have not received healing, but that there's still a new level of depth to the healing in that old wound. But what you feel is actually because now you're in a place of such sensitivity and tenderness. Because the things that offend God's spirit now offend the spirit within you. And so it's actually a testimony to the healing work of the Father in your life that you're turned off to the things that turn Him off. And you're turned on to the things that turn Him off. As He realigns your spirit into His, as He sensitizes your heart to His heart. And we begin to move from the place of ignorance to a place of awareness and sensitivity and tenderness. And I think it's actually an indicator of our growth. It's an indicator of how deep and profound we've been created to be. And it's also a challenge to recognize that, yes, there are more layers. There's more depth to the healing that God wants to do in us. But it's not a liability, my friends. It's a journey of discovery and joy. And it's interesting that in this passage, Paul uses this term, forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what's ahead. And we cannot take forgetting what is behind as forget your old story. Let those things, let the past be the past. Don't think about it. Don't acknowledge it. Because Paul has just told us his story. He gave us all of the marks and the wounds that he had received from the world and had received from religion that told him who he's supposed to be and how he's supposed to act. And then on the other side of the balance sheet, he says, I consider it all loss for the sake of what I found in Christ Jesus. And so Paul has shared his own story, his own journey from moving from his identity being caught up in the world to his identity being caught up in Jesus. And I believe when he says to us that we forget what is behind and we press on to what it is that's ahead of us, he's saying, forget that your identity is attached, attached to the old wounds of your previous life. Those wounds that you received from the world, from uncaring parents, from a culture and a society that seeks to consume you, from places of disappointment and disillusionment, all those places, all those old wounds that you formerly held your identity on, those have now been transferred over to your identity being in Christ Jesus, that you are a son of God, that you are a daughter of God, that you are his image bearers. And Paul's saying, forget where you used to put your identity, but tell the story as you press on ahead. And so let's continue reading in verse 15. Paul says this, All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Man, if only we use that in debates with one another a little bit more than trying to hammer our opinions down someone else's throat to say, hey, it hasn't been revealed to you yet? It's cool. God's got this. It's a journey. Relax. 
relax. It's okay. We're all probably wrong about something. We're all probably right about something. It's a journey. And we get to share it together. And in 16, he says this. I love this. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And I love this, that Paul is talking to us about what maturity is. Maturity isn't so much a place that we've arrived. Maturity isn't so much when we get to the top of the mountain. That, that we have all of the answers, that we figured it all out. But I think maturity speaks much more to the mindset that we have on the process. It's the mindset that we have when we're on the path. As we mature, we embrace the process of salvation and press on to our reward, who is Jesus himself. You see, now we're talking about those things that we speak about so much in our community. We have intimacy with God. That God is the, the instigator He's the the one who calls out to us first. He's the one that pursues us first. And he's the beginning of that journey, yet he's also the end. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what is the reward that we press onto? It is Christ Jesus himself. Jesus is his own reward. So there's your intimacy. And maturity means that we recognize where we are in the process and we own it and we continue to press forward. Now we're speaking of our identity. We learn to continually inhabit our identities as sons and daughters. We inhabit our identities as his, in, as his image bearers. And that becomes the message of our purpose as we press forward, as we move on. And I love that he says that we live up to what we have already attained. That we own the story that God has spoken over us. That we own the wounds that have become holy scars because they're no longer a place of shame, but they're a demonstration of God's power of resurrection in very specific places in our lives. And we own what is behind us. We own what it is that we've already attained. And it becomes the platform which catapults us forward into the next place. And in verse 20 and 21 in that same passage, he says this, Our citizenship is in heaven. That was four words, and it's so good. Our citizenship's in heaven. To say, where, where is our identity found? Is it in, in, the, in the world? Is it in the flesh? Is it in the enemy? No, our citizenship is in heaven. It's where our, our identities rest. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You see these little moments of resurrection, these little displays of God's power at work in our lives, they're just a foretaste of what's to come. That we practice resurrection in the here and now, looking forward to the last days when Jesus comes back and he finishes his rescue project. It says here, when he brings everything under his control, when he gathers it all back together, And we have that final bodily resurrection where we're no longer in these lowly bodies that are capable of being wounded, but we receive heavenly bodies that will be like his glorious body. Because you see, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he becomes the first fruit. That means he becomes the demonstration of what is inevitably all of our futures. But in the meantime, we're left 
with these holy scars. On this side of final resurrection, on this side of death, we're left with these holy scars that tell stories of the power of God. And so that's a little bit. I want to encourage you to recognize the journey of salvation that you're on right now and the journey of healing. And now I want us to talk about how it is and that we share these stories and why we share these stories and with whom we share these stories so that it might bring glory to God and advance his kingdom. And I want to use the language for this healing journey in terms remission and recovery. Remission and recovery. In 2008, a group from my church in Nashville went up to, um, to Illinois to the Cornerstone Festival, which was this really big Christian festival back in the day. It had upwards of 25 to 30,000 people. All your favorite Christian ska bands were there, trust me. But we had our own stage, and, and at each morning and each night we would have a worship service and myself and my students ran a prayer tent. We would pray for anybody in need. And it was so wonderful. That was so much of the place that I myself learned about deliverance and about praying for healing for people. And there was this guy in that, that year that came to practically everything that we did at our tent. He seemed like a really great guy. And he was just so invested. And he would help us out. And he would just worship with everything he was. And the last day on the Saturday, we're sitting as we're kind of tearing down our tent. And I turned to him and I said, hey man, how... Like, I don't know you, but how has this week been for you? What's it been like? What have you learned? What has the Lord revealed? And he said, well, he said, I've been in seminary for just about three months now. And I said, oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. And he said, I, and I've been a heroin addict for about three years. I said, huh, I never really put those two things together, <laughs> seminary and heroin, but okay. He said, don't get me wrong. He said, I haven't touched heroin in over three months since I started at seminary. I haven't touched it. He said, I've, I've been in remission from heroin for over three months now. But I think this week I finally started my recovery. And I said, yes. Yes, because I immediately knew what he was talking about when he said that. You see, when we're talking about cancer or when we're talking about addiction, we use this language of remission and recovery. And remission at its core is us putting space between us and the traumatic event. Sometimes when something's so up in our face, whether it's an addiction, or it's a pain, or it's a wound, or whatever it is, it's so hard for us to see straight or to think straight. But the process of remission is us moving away from that thing. And in that space, we begin to mourn the things that have happened to us, or we mourn the things that we've done. And we begin to confess those things to the Lord. And it becomes the beginning of our healing process. Remission is us moving away from the trauma. And it's, it's important that we recognize in healing that it starts with the tenderness of Jesus, his tender embrace in that most secret of places in the very core of who we are. And I think that God gives us community in order to lead us towards Jesus, but the true healing comes in the secret place, in the place where we cherish just time with him, because it's only Jesus that can truly penetrate to the depths of who we are, to the points of our pain, to the points of our addiction and trauma, and begin to speak to us in that and offer us his tender embrace in a way that it brings that healing presence. And when he's, this guy told me that he, was, he had been in remission, I knew what he meant. He's still a heroin addict, but he was getting some space between him and heroin so he could mourn it, so he could offer it over to the Lord and begin the process of healing. And so then what is recovery? 
If remission is moving away from something, then recovery is when we move towards something. When we speak about it in the language of cancer, remission is where the cancer is gone, but there's a period of waiting and seeing if it's going to come back. But if you have ever struggled with cancer, if you've ever known someone who has, you know you're waiting for that phone call from the doctor where they give you the the bill of clean health and they say, this cancer is not coming back. And that's the moment where you're no longer in remission and now you're in recovery. Now you're a survivor. And your title changes. Your understanding of who you are changes. It's very similar, I think, in addiction in, in remission from addiction, we move and we create space from our addiction so we can process with the Lord and we move away from it. But in recovery, we actually move towards something else. I love the 12-step program idea, AA and all of these other organizations. The one point of contention that I have with them is that you always live underneath the title. So perhaps you've encountered someone who's, who's an alcoholic and they've been an alcoholic for 30 years, but they haven't, you know, they haven't touched alcohol in 30 years. I believe that God actually invites us out from under the old titles and the old roles to stand ever more fully in the, in the things that he's called us in our true identities as his sons and daughters. And so when that guy told me that he had begun his recovery process, I almost immediately knew what he meant. That he'd spent three months moving away from something, but now the Lord was inviting him to move into something new. To see his identity made manifest in everything that he was. Where we are in our healing process determines how and why and with whom we share our scar stories. And of course here I'm talking about vulnerability. So let's talk about what vulnerability is for a moment. I once had a student, she was from New York and she came into my classroom or into my office on the very first day of her ministry school and she came in and she says, I just want you to know, I'm an open book. I'll tell you anything that you need to know. And I was like, okay, let's try that. And so for six weeks, we would meet on the regular. And it was very true. She shared a lot of information about her life. She shared a whole lot of facts about who she was and what she had done and what she had not done. And she would openly process. But I never quite felt that, that, that place of connection. In fact, I actually felt that there was something about the way in which she shared all of these facts about herself that actually prevented her from being truly vulnerable. And about seven weeks into the school, she came into my office and she seemed so broken and defeated and we began to talk about how the week before her father had tried to commit suicide. And that her mother and her sister and she had kind of known that there was something wrong. They knew her father dealt with depression. But nobody was speaking up about it. And, and her, her father had tried to take his life. And as she shared this, she began to weep. And, and I began to weep with her. And for a couple hours, we just we talked about it. And we prayed and we invited the Lord to, to shine his light into these difficult moments. We prayed for healing and deliverance for her father and for herself in the places where she felt so guilty for not speaking up sooner. And after a couple hours of, of just this time of, of weeping and praying, as we're kind of gathering ourselves, I turned to her and I said, you know, for six weeks, I've known a lot about you. But I feel like this is the first moment that I actually know you. I think vulnerability is less amount, about the amount of data that we exchange with one another, and it's more about the sharing of our hearts. It's about our hearts meeting. Sometimes that doesn't even need any words. Sometimes the most vulnerable we can be 
is to not use words, but to offer our presence plain as it is. How we share and how we speak about our stories indicates the amount of healing we've received when we talk about being vulnerable. And I believe for us as Christians that vulnerability in some way becomes the way in which we share the relentless tenderness of Jesus in our lives. When we share our stories, who is at the center of our story? When we speak about our wounds, do we speak about them in a way that there's a lot of drama attached to them and we still speak out of that pain? Or do we point to the places where God is touching our wounds and healing them? Do we share Christ in us? Or do we just share us? Who's the center of our story? I think one of the beautiful things that when we are in that place of recovery, when we're moving ever towards our reward, which is Christ Jesus, when we're moving towards the identities that we have because of, because of what He's done for us, is that He begins to give us eyes to see people that are living the same story that we have lived. And you, you, perhaps you're even thinking of someone in your life right now who has lived a very similar story to you. And there's something about that. When you hear that story, when you see that place of pain, when you see that sense of abandonment or rejection, there's something in you that wells up that you almost can't help but be drawn into it. Because you've lived that. You know what that's like. But you also know what God is capable of doing in those places. And I think that's the beauty of when we live out of a vulnerable place as Christians. We are open and honest about our stories, but we are also open and honest about the one who has entered into our stories, who has transformed our stories. You see, when we see our stories in other people's wounds, we don't offer the cheap answers. We don't cast out a few simple Bible verses or just give them little recommendations what to do. We offer them our very presence. Because it's the presence of God in our wounding that brought us to the place of healing and resurrection. And we see that in other people. And we say, yes, me too. But let me share with you about the hope and healing in Christ Jesus. And there's a difference between commiseration and compassion. I think when we commiserate with one another, we offer someone our presence without offering them hope. And when we commiserate with one another, we end up feeding each other's wounds and feeding each other's temptations. It's akin to seeing someone's open wound and then pressing our open wound up against theirs. And we actually infect their wound and we make it worse. Because we've given them our presence, but because we haven't yet opened up to the healing touch of Jesus, it actually can make things worse and we can hurt ourselves and we can hurt other people. But perhaps at the other end of the spectrum from commiserating is when we enter into pity. And pity is when we offer prescriptions to people, but without presence. We hold people that are hurt and broken at arm's length, and we chuck to them a couple quick little sayings, hoping that maybe they'll go away and figure it out on their own. But compassion, oh, compassion. Compassion exists in that creative tension where we're fully present to people, yet we're also able to offer them the hope and the healing that we have in Christ Jesus. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that as Christians, that is the most vulnerable we could be. That is the most vulnerable. Resist the temptation to only come alongside of someone and say, me too. 
but be able to be open and honest with your story of hope that you've received in Jesus. That is the most vulnerable that we can be with one another. Paul says this in Colossians 1, in verse 27. And I changed the wording slightly so that it would apply to us. He says this, Through you, City Beautiful Church, God has chosen to make known in the world the glorious riches of this mystery. He's chosen you. He sets you aside for this purpose. To make known in the world the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ woven into the brokenness of your life. Christ radiating like gold from the scars that you carry with you that tell a very different story than they were originally intended to do, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, Cole talked about this even a couple weeks ago about when we know that we are cared for by God, it empowers us to care for other people. And he even used this earlier passage from Colossians 1. And I want to add into that to say, when we know that God has offered us hope and healing and demonstrated the power of the resurrection in very specific places of brokenness and death in our lives, it actually empowers us to go out into the world and tell those stories of hope and healing in a way that it actually sees God's kingdom advance and it changes people and then it draws them into his embrace and they are able to receive that same hope of glory. And what is glory? God made known in a space. God made known in a space, the manifest presence of God. And we, because we carry Christ Jesus in us, have that same hope of glory that God will be made known through our stories. Your unique authority comes from the experience that you've had with Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And I love that Paul says this in that reading from Philippians 3. He says, not that I've already obtained all of this. And then he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. And I love that because Paul's saying there's more to go and there's more to discover, but own your past, own the stuff that's come behind you because it now speaks to what it is that you've received from God. And so there's this encouragement to us to keep going, keep on the journey of healing and salvation. But as you see God moving in your life, as you see God healing you, as you see Jesus weaving gold into your brokenness, Live up to what you've already attained. Live up to it. Tell those stories. Because there are people in your life now that really need to hear it. There are people in your life right now who have those same wounds that they're living under the curses from and they need your words and they need your presence to lead them into healing in Christ Jesus. I find that the more that I share my own story with the world, I find these new levels of depth to it. And it keeps it alive and it invites the healing in my own life to go deeper. Because I'm a profound creature. I've been created deep. I have depth. You've been, you are a profound creature. You've been created with depth. And as you share those things, it invites the, the Lord to continue to move in your life. So I invite you to stand with me, please. And last week, we asked the Father to reveal to us what are places in our own lives, those open wounds that are begging for His healing touch. 
And this week, I want us to ask him a similar question. But I want us to ask the Lord, what are the holy scars in our lives that we can point to that speak to the hope and the healing that we have in Christ Jesus? Perhaps your story is a story of rejection. And you've, you've encountered a God in Christ Jesus who's, who's given you such profound acceptance. And what that does for you is it gives you eyes to see people who live a story of rejection. And by compassion, you're going to be drawn in to say, me too. But let me show you another way. Let me show you healing. Let me show you what's possible when God moves in the midst of our wounds. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the journey of healing and salvation that each one of us is on. Lord, teach us how to live up to the things that we've already attained. Teach us how to live boldly and with joy in the places in our lives where you've already healed us. You've already brought resurrection. Father, tell us those stories again. I know you love telling us our own story, but tell us those stories again in a way that gives us life, that reminds us of what has already happened. And Father, teach us how to offer those stories to the brokenness in the world so that we might sow hope and healing, so that our scars might testify to a different way of living because it draws us into your embrace. Heavenly Father, right now, would you send your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us individually, to give us names of people that we encounter on a daily basis that are begging for our story. Would you give us the faces of people in our lives that need desperately to hear the hope and the healing that we've received in those same wounds? Father, for each person in here tonight, I pray for at least one divine appointment this week where we find a place where someone is practically begging for us to expose our scars to them and to reveal the hope and healing we have in Jesus. And Father, may we steward our stories well so that everything we do glorifies you. Everything we do points back to you. And we see the kingdom of God advance piece by piece and heart by heart. Father, accept our worship of you, our praise of you for what it is that you've already done in our lives and the high hope and expectancy we have to see more of that. And all honor and glory are yours. Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives us the victory.